Hey everyone, welcome back to the Parkies podcast. Um, I apologize for the week delay of putting this episode out. I was a little lazy this past week and just didn't feel like doing too much podcast wise. And now that I'm getting busier in the summer and it's getting nicer out and I want to enjoy being outside, um, I probably won't be putting out as many episodes as often. Uh, I'm still going to try and do as many as I can throughout the summer. Uh, But like I said, I want to get outside and enjoy uh, the outdoors and the activities that I can do, um, despite, you know, all the lockdown stuff that's going on. I still have a lot of stuff that I can do and focus on. So just to be aware, I will be still be putting out episodes, just not as often. Um, but I'm back at it this week with the second part of my music series that I, um, told you guys that I was going to be doing, um, last week or two weeks ago, actually, I had my friend Eli on the podcast episode and him and I shared some music and musical experiences in the parks and it was great to chat with him and just hear his um, experiences but i'm back at it this week to talk about music again but with a different guest Um, another guy that i met in glacier david cooper or cooper as we like to call him he's going to be my guest today and we're also going to keep continuing to chat about music and our musical experiences in the park and also just hear his background in the parks in general so um, without further ado let's get right into it and chat with my buddy cooper All right, Cooper, can you hear me? Hey, yeah. Awesome. I can hear you really clear. Sounds great. Sweet. <laughs> What's awesome. going on? Oh, you know, the same old, same old. Just, I uh, just got off work. Um, just my per usual during the week as uh, quarantine continues. But uh, <laughs> yeah, our um, our county moved into the yellow phase, quote unquote, which is like the initial phase for reopening today. So I guess that's a step in the right direction. Just today, huh? Yeah, yeah. Some other county, like most of Pennsylvania, um, has gone to yellow already. Um, but like some politicians and most of the people in our counties and our surrounding counties have been like, "Yo, like the governor sucks." Um, <laughs> they've kind of like backlashed at him for taking so long to open counties because we're um, our like our rates as far as like um, number of deaths. Like in my county total, there's only been five deaths, and that's not too bad at all. Yeah, and like the number of infected is like less than two thousand, I think. I, I, it's probably not current, but it's it meets the criteria that he set out, or like his administration set out to, um, you know, as far as like meet this criteria to like move to the next phase. So, but we weren't moved there right away. So people were like, you know, why isn't this happening? Oh, of course. Well, I'm in Montana right now, as you probably know, and um, we've been uh, we've been in phase one for about maybe like two or three weeks now. Um, so when we moved here, we had to self quarantine for 14 days and we weren't allowed to leave the house for any reason. So that was, uh, probably more stressful than any parky move I've ever made because we had to like hunker down as soon as we entered the state. And, uh, that was, that was pretty interesting getting everything all set up on the road. (laughs) Oh yeah, I can imagine. But, um, I, I saw that now that, um, it was like June 2nd or something like that. They're moving to phase two. So that restriction will, uh, will go away. Yeah. We'll see what happens with the park and everything. You know, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting for sure. It'll be a weird summer for Montana and you know, it's, it's a weird summer for everyone and for the parks in general too. Yeah. There's so much to get used to and so much still like left unsaid and uncertain, but, um, yeah, I'm kind of hoping that the, um, it kind of stays that way as far as like things opening back up. I know 
Um, I just read an article that like Glacier is like still set to open beginning of June, not the original like June first date, but like still at the beginning of June. Right. Um, I have, I actually have, yeah, I have tickets, um, flights planned out to go out there in mid July. So I'm hoping things are still okay by then. I will keep my fingers crossed for you, man. <laughs> yeah. I still want to, I still want to get up to the park soon too, but you know, it's, uh, it's kind of, I mean, working in the park business, you see a different side of people and you know that a lot of the people that are going to be traveling are not going to want anything to do with this social distancing thing. So it'll be, it'll be interesting. I prefer, you know, a little more space on the trails myself. So we'll see how they, <laughs> how they yeah, end up living or, you know, what, what their plans are. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, we, we like, we don't like social distancing, but we also like at the same time, like, especially. Oh, I love stuff. social distancing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. especially when it comes to like the <laughs> stuff it's like, we got to get away from that. Like, please stay away from, from me. me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, <laughs> Well, hey, I mean, thanks for thanks for jumping on. It's good to get a chance to catch up with you. It's been, I mean, it's been since last, I mean, practically last summer since I saw you. Yeah, I know. Um, we saw each other maybe once or twice last summer too, because we were at different locations. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, for sure. Um, so like, as we get started here, why don't we just uh, get into it? Um, I kind of sent you over the kind of like the outline that I had as far as questions and topics. But why don't we just uh, get started with you telling us, you know, a background on cooper and where you're from and all that good stuff yeah so um yeah so i grew up in uh the salem massachusetts area um which you know growing up in that area was kind of um it, it, it is a tourist city so i kind of got used to working in you know I, w- I was working in hotels for most of you know working my way through college working in hotels and and, you know, every October we would have this influx of tourism. And I was working at a, um, at, at a hotel downtown and I was a front desk manager and I was bored. I was bored of my hometown. You know, I was bored of the same, you know, the city vibes. Uh, and, you know, I still loved uh, working in tourism, but I was getting bored. So you know, that's when my friend Derek, um, Derek Wells, who you know, um, he invited me to Grand Canyon National Park. He actually was the guy who, you know, I grew up with him. He grew up in Massachusetts as well. And we were, we're kind of like friends in our college days. And, um, he was like, Hey, listen, you're already doing this job. Why don't you come and do it in a way more interesting place? And so that's kind of how I got into the park thing. 2017, uh, September, I kind of dropped everything and just moved out to Arizona like so many of us do. And, um, it, you know, Derek was my roommate. And, you know, it kind of went from there. I met Kim Hughes, who you you know as well, who's, mm-hmm. um, yep. who's been a uh, food and beverage manager at Many Glacier. And she was the one who suggested that I uh, make the transfer to Glacier. So we kind of all did that at once. And we showed up. And, um, you know, the rest is history. Did another season at Glacier, um, you know, the next summer. And then I just got off of kind of a, <laughs> a half season in Big Sur there that was curtailed due to current events. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, now I find myself back in Montana kind of around the same time, but under very different circumstances, I would say. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, you mentioned something like something pretty, pretty common, and I think a lot of us Parkies resonate with is that we just got sick of our hometown and wanted to go somewhere else. Um, it's definitely, definitely yeah. in my case. I mean, when you grow up in a town that only has, um, oh, actually only had one traffic light for probably about. 18 years of my life until we got the second <laughs> one when they put in a gas station slash like convenience store um, put a new one in um, there's not much to go around but but yeah I mean um, if you're getting you're getting excited about a second traffic like putting getting put in that's uh that's when you know it's time to time to expand your horizons a little bit <laughs> right, right. And there's, there's, I mean I know there's people out there that like are from places that have like zero traffic lights but I mean it's true just, uh, true <laughs> just the side of the, the east that i was born on but for but, sure yeah so i mean yeah i remember i remember you saying about your experience i never knew that was with uh with derek i never knew that that connection um so shout out yeah we uh we kind of grew up together we were we were good friends um you know in our in our early 20s kind of late teens and uh he just kind of disappeared i mean he <laughs> i was one one week i was talking to him we were hanging out and then you know about a month later i hear from him and i'm like where did you go i've been oh i've been working at the grand canyon so you know he did it just as quickly as any of us and he he pulled me right into it and i i went down the same parky vortex that we all kind of went down <laughs> yeah. so you can blame you can blame him for all the events that unfolded after that <laughs> i mean that's that's a that's a good thing we blame for is there anything else oh, I guess. absolutely <laughs> so um i kind of want to touch on the uh the grand canyon like that experience there because i mean i've worked there um i knew i knew previously that you had worked there um so i mean with you being in like uh basically being in tourism and in hospitality was like how long how, how long or how many uh, roles is like a management role did you like um play in separate places um like i know like you're saying that you were a manager back in your hometown but did that also were you also a manager um in the grand canyon as well i i was a supervisor um so i i got hired on as a front desk supervisor at the grand canyon um and, you know, I had I had been bouncing around before that in my home state, um, front desk manager here, front office supervisor here. I played a housekeeping manager role back in Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, it was odd enough that I was kind of getting bored with each job within six months anyways. And to be able to find that you can leave your job in six months and go to a different place, that was very appealing to me. Like no one's going to be mad at you that you only stayed for six months because that's as long as the season is. It's like, all right, everyone can go home now. Um, but that wasn't the case of the Grand Canyon. So it was actually it's it's kind of a different experience for anyone that works at a park like the Grand Canyon or um, or even Big Sur, where I just came from. It has a different vibe. I think a lot of, you know, it, it depends on what you're looking for from the experience. Um there, there are a lot of people who get really settled into their housing there. And, and, you know, maybe they don't get out and explore the park as much because they've lived there for five years straight, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so that ended up being the kind of the push that brought me to Glacier. Um, because, you know, Grand Canyon, uh, where I was, my location was outside of the park. So it was a little stale. Um, you know, I still tried to explore the park as much as possible, but I really wanted to be in an environment where you know, people were, were out enjoying and taking, 
you know, I, we have this limited time to explore. So let's get out there and do it while we can. So, um, cause I know you worked at the Grand Canyon too. Did you kind of, uh, did you kind of find the same thing when you were out there? Um, yeah, I mean, based off of my, I mean, my first summer in Glacier in 2018 was my first seasonal job ever. Um, mm-hmm. and knowing that it was only like a finite amount of time that like, that was, that I was able to enjoy that. And then going to the Grand Canyon, it is as far as like the environment. I mean, it's other than like the, the state of the obvious, as you know, um, Glacier is a seasonal park, whereas the Grand Canyon is year round. Um, right. There is, I mean, there obviously are just obvious differences other than that. But I mean, I think, um, because like you were, you worked out in Tucson, which is the, the small like village, quote unquote, right before you enter into the Grand Canyon, which right. still sees quite like still sees a lot of action. Like it's especially in the summer and in, in the peak like season times. But um, I don't think a lot of people don't re- like realize how busy that the uh, the Grand Canyon can get in the winter time. Um, oh yeah, I mean, I mean we uh, had a, there was a there was a McDonald there's a McDonald's and a Wendy's and a Starbucks now in Tucson. They they put up the Starbucks when I was out there, and it kind of I was watching it kind of turn into a little city, and I was like, eh. <laughs> yeah. I, I gotta get I gotta get into the park or into another park. Um, so, but for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people enjoyed living in that environment. It had the comforts of home that a lot of people were, were looking for, and you're still really close to a national park. So I can see the draw. I I don't think it was for me, but I can see the draw of living in a place like that for sure, where you can still get your Starbucks coffee in the morning and then go for a hike in a national park in the afternoon. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the the Grand Canyon is definitely more convenient on that end. Um, cause like, yeah, Tucson and even in like Grand Canyon village, like it's set up like very well for like, you know, year round pleasure. I mean, that's what it's ideal for. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, there's a, I mean, other than like some of the restaurants there, which by the way, I think if I, re- I'd have to ask uh, my buddy, buddy Joe about this, but, uh, that McDonald's I'm pretty sure is the third most expensive McDonald's in the U S. Yeah. I think, I think it's the, um, the third most expensive in the U S you said. I think I can't. Remember. It's it's really like it's. It right is very expensive. Yeah, it's <laughs> super high up there. Um, yeah, but yeah, that's that's any restaurant actually in Tucson. Like it's just like prepare to like pay a premium for your Big Mac meals just because like. Oh yeah, it's the location. That's that's what they're making the money off of. Because I mean, it also like logistically like you're eighty eighty some miles away from the nearest like. Well, not even metropolitan, but like you know, inhabited like area, which is Flagstaff, right? Um, and that's where like most of the distribution is going to come from, and up from like the south, and like there's like just so many like the mileage to get to that area of Arizona, like is it's at least like a hundred miles, like that's how much of a drive you're looking at. So for any distribution channel to get in there, obviously it's going to cost like a hefty money for shipping anything. Um, oh, absolutely. So that's why they got to raise those prices up. But uh, I think that's from what Joe told me that Starbucks is, is uh, going out now. Like it's it's done. Really? I think. Yeah. Um, I, have to I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm really unhappy about that. Um, <laughs> there was a there was a really great coffee shop and I don't know if it's still there. It You're was uh, RP's stage stop. Yeah, they uh, they shut down for good a while ago. That is disappointing. I know, they they were, had really great coffee. They, they were a, a great place to get. I remember going there quite often. But there's also um, 
uh, like the uh, Bright Angel Bicycle Shop um, right there at the uh, Grand Canyon Village or the Grand Canyon Visitor Center. Uh, they, they make some pretty great coffee and have some good stuff there. So we would go there too. But yeah, I was really sad to hear uh, when RP shut down because that was a, that was a great place. And that's been an operation for, I mean, it's a stage stop. So, yeah. I mean, initially it was, it was stage coaches, you know, um, that would stop there. It's been the same, you know, ever since. So that's pretty, that's pretty, you know, that's a bummer to hear that they closed down yeah. for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, now, I mean, now that we touched on like the Canyon, like, I've, I've never been to Big Sur, so I would love to hear, like, what your, I mean, even though it was a short time there, like, what your time there was like. Uh, is that a year-round place, or is that a seasonal place? It is. It's year-round. So, my, um, I worked at Fernwood Resort, and um, it's kind of, it's, it's in a redwood forest. Um, so, Big Sur, the area known as Big Sur, if you look at a map of California, it's kind of the central area of the coast and it's right on highway one or the Pacific coast highway. Mm-hmm. Um, for anyone that, um, you know, has ever seen one of those car commercials where, you know, there's a car going over a bridge and there's mountains and ocean. And you're like, that looks like it's somewhere beautiful in California. It was probably filmed in big Sur. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I, I know you're a fan of Def Cab for Cutie. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. He has a song called Bixby Canyon Bridge, and that's actually one of the bridges in Big Sur. And everyone comes to photograph that. That's one of the big, you know, where's the bridge? Where's the bridge? And uh, I always got to tell people, oh, you, you just drove over it about 20 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's gorgeous out there. It, temperatures really mild in the wintertime. You know, it's California. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's uh, redwood forests, mountains, and then you've got the coast right there. So it's kind of like a little, you know, baby going to the sun road. Definitely not as dramatic, yeah. the scenery. But, um, but, you know, we found a few spots where you can just pull out um, and we would get our morning coffee and kind of just listen to the seals. And, you know, we got to see, we were there as the whales were making their migration, oh, wow. um, up the coast. So that was really cool. Um, we would go on hikes and, uh, you know, all the hikes go straight up the mountains. Um, cause there's just mountains road and then the coast just drops right down. So, you know, you'd be looking out to the ocean and just see these spurts of water coming out and like, oh, is that a whale or are my eyes playing tricks on me? And then you'd see it again somewhere else. And you'd be like, yep, I'm looking at a whale. <laughs> and uh, it was it was really, really cool. It was a completely different experience. Um, but it is a, a year round place. So it comes with a lot of those, you know, people are very dug in there as well. OK, OK. Yeah, I um back in 2017 i had i did like a a west coast uh, national park road trip with some friends and we were planning on going through big sur and going along the coastal highway but i think at that time there was a uh, a landslide that had like just i think it just completely covered like a good section of like the oh highway. yeah yeah i oh. actually heard about that while i was living there and um it, funny enough the roadblock i guess was right after where i worked so um hmm. So residents would have to uh, hike to get groceries. So they'd have to hike around the roadblock. They'd go through the state and get groceries at the grocery store that I worked at. And then they would hike their groceries around the roadblock 
and then back to their cars and back to, you know, wherever they were living. So, <laughs> yeah, I guess that it, I guess that affected them for a really long time. I had sitting no idea there. That. That's, uh, I mean, that's dedication yeah. right there. They got to do what they got to do to get their, uh... there were, there were still trails that were closed down because of that. Um, a lot of the national, uh, a lot of the state parks rather, um, you know, there, there, there wasn't as much hiking there as, at, you know, this past year as there has been in years prior because of those landslides and those fires. Wow. I, ne- I never would have thought that had like that much of an impact for a place like that. But, um, did you get to go to Pinnacles while you were there? No. Um, I think all we really did while we uh, kind of reached that area of California, um, uh, we had already planned on, um, going to like the redwoods and like we didn't realize that like the redwoods like aren't really a national park it's it's like it's all like states like a combination of like different state um areas state parks technically Mm -hmm. and um so we we visited like different spots like of like the redwood forest that were like throughout northern california we even got to like i want to say i mean i i booked us like a, a mountain biking like experience through them but these weren't like you know single track mountain bike trails that you know what i think mountain biking should be um, right it was just like kind of like like going through the forest that's basically what it was but it was still really cool because like i mean sounds like california yeah exactly exactly <laughs> they try to make things easier for everyone there um <laughs> i've noticed that the tourism there is very different from the tourism that i was used to in you know glacier or even the grand Can- grand canyon you get everyone you know, everyone wants to see the Grand Canyon at least once. Glacier is just kind of being discovered, but Big Sur, everyone going to Big Sur is from LA or San Francisco. And, you know, it's, they, these people have a city mentality and it's probably the only park that they visit. So the, the clientele is, is very different there. A lot of them need, a you know, kind of a refresher on how to behave outdoors. But <laughs> it's an interesting, like, string of state parks in between private land. And I saw that that was the case in a lot of areas of California where, like, you know, a lot of the conservation falls on private homeowners mm. that just acquire these vast stretches of land and take it upon themselves to preserve them. Um it's it's a really interesting and kind of different way of doing things, and I I was totally not used to it. So I was expecting Big Sur. We drove through the redwoods too. It's just a string of state parks, and Big Sur is kind of the same thing. I was expecting it to be this is Big Sur Park, you know, okay. and there is one, but it's just again like a string of state parks, and then you know a a, a multi million dollar home, and then another string of state parks. Wow. Yeah, never, never really thought like that kind of insight into it. But uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing that and like that background in your parks. Uh, um, it's good to like to kind of just go through all that, especially like I said, I've never been to Big Sur, cause I, so I definitely wanted to hear about that. Um, yeah, for sure. And if you ever get a chance to just drive through again, I mean, it's it's a gorgeous drive. Even if you just take the Pacific Coast Highway just from start to finish, I mean, I'd recommend it to anyone. It's it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I've, I have yet. I mean, I've been out to California a couple times. Um, I just haven't had a chance to get on um, that portion of California. I've only, like I said, I've only been there for the redwoods, and then I was in uh, 
Lone Pine when I did Mount Whitney um, this past uh, fall. I saw you guys did that. That is very cool. <laughs> yeah, that was a, uh, that was quite an experience. Um, I'm sure that's a that's a tough mountain for sure. From what I've seen, I've not attempted it myself, but I mean that's that's pretty strenuous. Yeah, it's um. Well, I mean, it's the four. It's the tallest uh, tallest mountain in the lower 48, like the continental U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, it sits at just over uh, 14,500 feet, and what most, like what we didn't realize until we got there was like there's actually more than one way to get up there and so it's because like there's actually um there's a like the mount whitney trail which starts from mount whitney portal um where the trailhead starts and it's uh is it 12 what is it 12 miles one way yeah 12 miles one way so you're going up 12 miles and then bet you have to come back down 12 miles um and it's got like 99 switchbacks which is just brutal but um <laughs> It's like it starts at 8,000 feet, like just above 8,000 feet. And on that 12 miles, you gain 6,000 feet of elevation. So you get to the summit of Whitney, uh, which is. Did you, know, you feel that effect of altitude? Oh, yeah, we did. We uh, so like I said, there, the Mount Whitney Trail is like one way to get up there. But there's also a route call, called the Mountaineers route. And mm. like it's, you know, it's for us, like for like guys like you and I that like like are experiencing glacier of going off trail and like summoning mountains like this is right. like cake for us or like this is like you know candy for us uh, we just we want to do it so uh, me and jonathan vasquez uh, the guy uh, you know jonathan we were uh we traveled down there to do it together but we uh once we found out about this route um uh, we were like you know i mean but here's like here's the actual specifications for that route so you start at the, at the trailhead like you would the uh, mount whitney trail and you're actually on the trail for about a mile but uh, then you mm-hmm. cut off, and then you start like making your way up off trail, and you like you basically go up like a small riverbed uphill, do a small amount of like rock scrambling up. Nothing actually super technical um, for about the first four and a half miles because the uh, actual length of the Mountaineers route is about um, five. It's between five and six miles. I can't remember the exact, but it's between five and six miles uh, long. But you gain six thousand feet of elevation gain in that five and six miles wow so you're you're climbing um yeah so we started like I said, we started eight thousand feet and like the first four and a half um uh, miles of the trail honestly not not too bad um a little bit of rock scrambling nothing we weren't used to like in glacier um mm-hmm. fairly easy to find our way through the route um we actually talked to some local uh locals there that worked in lone pine and they gave us like um like a, a, an app to look at with the actual like off trail map to look at which was really cool and we uh we made it up to um this lake i think i think it was actually called boy scout lake is what it was uh called and we sat there to like take a break um but at this time once you're at that lake you're at um roughly 12,500 feet and you still have another 1500 feet to go up to the summit and you can see the summit from that lake however you, that in that last um half mile you gain 1500 feet of elevation and there's this thing called the chute, which is right next to Whitney, that it's just straight all like you're on all fours climbing up and scrambling up the chute to get up to um, the backside summit of Whitney. And even after that, you have some actual like, like even more technical rocks climbing. You have to get up like on the rocks to get on top of the summit. Um, so by that time, when we got up the chute, like, Jonathan and I were, like, we were feeling super dizzy. Like, we felt that altitude sickness hard. Um, but we managed to get up to the summit, and 
we were just like so dazed and confused and just like we were foggy like trying to eat and like trying to concentrate on eating was tough and um like we we had a permit that like stayed like we were allowed to go up that route but we were, were supposed to come back down the same route but like we had we had absolutely like no energy and like we didn't feel safe at all going back down that that same route we would have probably died or gotten seriously injured if we did so um we went down the actual trail and the way the permits work is like there's only a certain number of permits they allow for like people on the trail to come up the summit to whitney and they um like if you get caught off permit it's a hundred dollar fine and they actually have mps rangers um stationed on different spots along the trail to like check permits so we're like you know what if we get caught we'll pay the fine we're just being safe it's for our own good um but we went down the trail and we passed a couple rangers but no one stopped us and we made it down um took us about 17 hours in total i think it was so um but yeah that was uh that's probably one of the highlights of like my climbing or my my hiking career your experience it reminds me of um you know this past november um i climbed mount adams in uh in washington and i realized very quickly that you know when when you're climbing in glacier some of those the tallest mountains in glacier national park are just over 10,000 feet mm-hmm. and you don't really feel that like altitude sickness and mount adams was the first time that i i i kind of took it lightly at first i was like it's 12,000 feet 12,000 something feet at the summit and i was like eh, it's just you know it's it's not that high, but once you get above that 10, 11, mm-hmm. you know, I started to feel really fatigued, really dizzy. And I had to, you know, similar situation. I had to take a break for about an hour. I just lay there and just kind of collect myself. And, uh, you know, you can see the summit, but it's, you're like every step that you take after that, it just takes more and more out of you. And that altitude sickness, you know, I'll never take that lightly again. That was, uh, it was a very humbling experience, as I'm sure it was for you, too. Yeah, I mean, I, that's honestly the one thing that Jonathan and I were worried about when we did it. We said we both like, you know, we're on the same page that as far as like our climbing experience goes of like our you know, like summiting peaks and route finding, we felt pretty comfortable because of like what we did in Glacier and what we were able to do there. Um, but the one thing we were worried about was just the elevation sickness and like gaining that much altitude quickly. And we had take we had brought some like um anti like you know like whatever you take on an airplane like you're feeling like the airplane sickness and we so we took some of those oh okay yeah and um there was actually some like powdered stuff i found i think it was called acclimate actually that like you're you can take before like those kinds like any strenuous activity of like gaining elevation or like being at high altitude like kind of help you acclimate which i really don't think it helped at all the way i was feeling (laughs) yeah um, but yeah it was um definitely if anybody decides to either do or some Mount Whitney specifically, or like, you know, if you're going to a place where you're going to be above um, that 10,000 foot, like threshold, as far as gaining elevation, like, like don't take it lightly. It's, it's something you need to be aware of and need to prepare for. And um, yeah, it's, it's no joke. It's really no joke. And it seems to happen randomly too. You know, it's, 
you you could you could go up a mountain that high and and not feel the effects of altitude at all and then the next time you can climb the same mountain and get altitude sickness right. so it really is you know it's it, it's based on a variety of conditions and like i said i I kind of, I, I had like, you know how I am. I, I I'm going to do this. No problem. It's fine. <laughs> and and then I get up there and I'm like, Oh my God, am I, am I out of shape or I'm really feeling this right now? Right. And uh, yeah, I had to, I had to stop and, and take it easy. Um, I had Angelica with me, actually. She broke her wrist on that climb. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, she, uh, she slid down a um, kind of, she was, uh, she slid down kind of like a, um, you know, a patch of ice. She probably slid about a thousand feet. Oh Luckily, she had a self-arrest with her uh, ice axe. Um, but the impact from from digging her ice axe actually broke her wrist. Wow. So that's, uh, yeah, we were we we all got down kind of at different times, but we were all you know really. <laughs> really lucky to be alive at the end of that one. But it, it was a beautiful day, you know, all things considered, but, you know, definitely not to take these things lightly for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the risk we take with any of those, um, with any of those kind of like adventures or treks. I mean, I mean, if mm-hmm. you know what you're getting into, like, you know what you're getting into, like, that's, that's the best way I can put it is like, you know, just don't be stupid. Or like, if you, if you don't feel comfortable, then don't do it. Or at least be with someone that knows what they're doing. Oh yeah. And Angelica, I mean, I mean, she's a way more accomplished mountaineer than I am. I don't know if you follow her, but her, you know, she's, uh, she, she's been on some adventures for sure. And, uh, quite a bit of experience. Absolutely. And it just goes to show you, you know, any, anything can happen no matter how much experience you have, you got to be prepared for just about anything to happen when you're out there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I kind of want to start getting into, um, the overall theme that I have for this, because, uh, what I stated in my last podcast for everyone that listens or have listened to that one is listening now, um, my previous podcast with Eli uh, McFarlane, uh, was themed around music in the parks. And I said, it was just going to be like a, uh, one that was part one of a two part, like podcast series or mini series about music in the parks. And, uh, that's why I have Cooper on here now, because, um, he had a big role as far as like me experiencing music in the parks and like what he has. So uh, before we actually get into um, like how our music experience unfolded in Glacier Cooper, um, can you give us a background as far as like your musical background? Because I know you have like an education in music, but I kind of want to hear sure. some more about that. And then like leading up to um, your musical influences and then up to um, like any musical influence that you brought into the parks with you. Sure. Yeah. So um I mean, from, from a very young age, um, I was, I was fortunate to, you know, I, my grandmother was always encouraging me to play her piano when I would visit her. And my mom actually had this organ in our basement, this huge instrument, um, that like, even as like a toddler, I would just kind of like make noise on. And as eventually that noise started sounding like something, Um, and you know, when I was in kindergarten, um, one of my, uh, one of my teachers said to my, to my mom, you know, every time we do like sing-alongs, this kid has like perfect pitch. You should probably develop this skill in him. Um, so one, I'm really glad for the teachers that I had, you know, growing up that they recognized 
that I had kind of a penchant for this. And, you know, my parents really helped develop that. Um, interestingly enough, what you, you might not, what you might not expect is that my first time being enrolled in piano lessons, um, my teacher like gave up on me. I couldn't focus, you know, they wanted me to go home. I was a child Mm -hmm. so that I, you know, they wanted me to go home, read the sheet music, um, you know, play these classical pieces. And then I would come in the next lesson and they'd be like, did you learn this? And I'd be like, no, but I wrote a song and you know, I was just kind of playing around, learning the instrument. And um, he actually said to my mom, he was like, I can't teach him. I, I don't no. think unless he, unless he learns how to focus, like, I don't think he's ever going to have the focus to learn how to play the piano. So he dropped me from his classes. Um, and I just kind of taught myself after that. Um, so, you know, throughout high school, I was in, you know, involved in music I was in, you know, uh, musical theater. I did the, the acapella groups. Um, they actually, a year out of high school, they invited me back. I composed um, uh, music for a production of Romeo and Juliet that they did. Wow. And they brought me in to kind of like play it live along with, um, you know, along with them on the stage. So. I kind of, there were parts where I was like, well, I'm going to kind of vamp on this until, you know, the end of the sword fight kind of thing. And that was a really cool experience. And, um, you know, going into college, I went to uh, Salem State College, um, which is now a university in Salem, Massachusetts. And again, when I auditioned um, for the music department, the head of the music department told me that I was a wild horse that needed to be tamed, his words exactly. (laughs) And they set me up with this piano teacher who had her doctorate in piano performance that she had gotten in Tokyo, this Japanese woman named Sanai Kanda. And she was one of the strictest teachers I've ever had in my life. And again, for a second time, I could not learn. I don't know why I kept getting these teachers that were so strict with me, but like she would like slap my wrists to like make sure that I was like playing (laughs) properly. And it just, you know, um, after a couple years in music school, I, that's when I started getting into working in hotels and I had joined a couple bands with friends and, you know, my music seemed to be going in a completely different direction than my schooling was going. So I decided to just kind of start hanging around musical people and, you know, playing in bands and recording. And, um, you know, I got I got in with some local studios. We made some albums and, you know, the whole young, you know, young music scene kind of thing that I'm, right. I'm sure every musician has that kind of period in their life where they're kind of just exploring with their friends who are musical as well and you know this band doesn't work out but three members here are in this band and you're invited over there so it was kind of like that back and forth and um kind of just you know brought it along with me when I when I went to the Grand Canyon I brought my keyboard with me and um and just kind of started doodling around and um that's when Kim was saying hey you know there's a music scene at glacier i think you'd really love it there because there is a music scene there it's actually like a standing tradition so that's that was one of the 
big things that actually attracted to me to Glacier was the fact that I had heard that there was this music scene that was out there waiting to be cultivated. So I kind of jumped at that chance. Wow. I mean, well, kudos to Kim Hughes for like influencing like that and like kind of for mentioning that to you, because I think without that, you may not have discovered it in that time being and then gotten to um, get out there in the summer of 2018 where, uh, where we met. Uh, my first yeah. summer there in, in Glacier. And uh, just for everyone that is listening, I, I've mentioned this on multiple podcasts before. Um, we're talking about the musical scene in uh, Glacier National Park, specifically Many Glacier Hotel. And um, it's, it, they, it called, they called this show Place of the Rockies for a reason because there's just a huge musical history there. And um, I've mentioned it before in previous podcasts, uh, specifically the last one with Eli. So if you want to learn more about that, I just, I encourage you to go back and listen to that episode because I do talk about it, but um, the many Glacier Hootenanny and the musical performances that were stirred up by uh, Mr. Ian Tippett, who was a legendary manager within the day um, back in the, uh, for about 30 years there um, before the 2000s hit. Um, He cultivated that and that's what made that tradition alive. But before um, you and I got there, Cooper, from what I understand, it kind of, died out on those previous years or there really wasn't like wasn't being taken over um in those years in those prior years before we got there um i'm not sure like what if you had heard anything specific and i would love to chat with somebody that was actually in like some of the um early days of the hoot nanny and like those performances uh if i can because i would love to learn the history of that but um you know who you should get on your show is mary notas i should she was she was the one who um really encouraged me to um to kind of get it going and she was kind of disappointed in the state of it um you know she wanted it to be a bigger thing too and and her encouragement really um you know from the very beginning i i had asked her like hey so i heard about this hoot nanny and she kind of you know took me aside like we're i would love for someone to to do that to, 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 to kind of, you know, um, to bring that back, if you will. Um, cause I know in years before they have, um, you know, for those people who are listening, who don't know really how, like how many glacier hotel is set up, it's this big sprawling property with all these nooks and crannies in it. And they were holding their hoot nannies like downstairs in a meeting room called the Lucerne room. And I mean, I, I guess a few people showed up and it was, you know, it, they, they played and they enjoyed it, but there wasn't really this, like, you know, we're doing this in front of the, the guests and we're bringing guests in and it wasn't a big deal. Like, you know, when we tried to, um, I think we did a pretty good job, honestly. Yeah. I think, um, I think that year will kind of go down, um, as as a great year in you know the history of many glacier music um you know we certainly got the attention of the glacier park foundation um a lot of people really liked what they heard it was um it was a lot of fun i am really grateful to mary for kind of pushing me in that direction um and you know the rest is kind of history i met you and um sophia and alex and i I know you remember that first performance. <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I really uh, <laughs> that was it. It was kind of yeah. It was kind of just us standing around <laughs> uh, 
the the piano in the lobby we had gotten permission to do it there and um i i think the people watching i'm not sure really what they were expecting or i i think everyone kind of left a little confused but um but i had fun you know i just i was enjoying playing music with my new friends you know yeah and uh I think I think what happened that year was it it was infectious and people saw how much fun we were having and they really wanted to be a part of it. And, you know, I just wanted as many people as possible to be a part of it. Yeah, um, yeah I do remember that. Music remember. is for everybody. It is. It really is. And there's like I chatted with Eli in the last week's episode. There's there's people there's so many talented people, not just like the ones that come to Glacier, but just in the park system in general, there's so many talented people, um, whether it be music or dance or, or whatever, um, people bring these talents with them. And that's like such a beautiful thing that you get to see out of people, especially in a place in many Glacier Hotel where you get to get a chance to express those talents. And I remember, um, I think you made an announcement in the employee dining room uh, before the season started and when like the employees were there and, you mentioned about the hoot nanny. You were looking for musicians, and like I had brought my guitar with me because I was doing uh, um, worship services through ACMP. Um, so I led like I led music because uh, my two partners um, in that weren't musically or whatnot like as didn't really have instruments to bring. So I brought uh, mine with me, my guitar with me to have that. But uh, yeah, when I kind of when I I remember I didn't know what I was getting myself into when I was <laughs> like it was like hey like yeah I'll do it like I thought it was just gonna be like a Oh, like I'll just kind of do this thing. I never, I've had obviously I've had experience like playing in front of people before, but like, no nowhere like as big of crowds or well, no, I shouldn't say that, but like not in that kind of like environment and not like something. It's else. such a beautiful venue. Yeah, really, it's really it's is. one of it probably is the most gorgeous place that I've ever you know sat down to a piano or or been able to perform. Right. And there's something about the beauty of your surroundings and the fact that when the Hootenanny was going on on Monday nights, um, that was the one time where no one in that lobby was trying to connect to that little smidge of Wi-Fi that was available. Um, you know, it really brought everyone together. And I think that that's, you know, thinking about how many Glacier Hotel must have been in the days of Tippett when you know, music was just flowing through these halls. They had roving violinists that would just wander the halls and play. And I think you mentioned this in your last episode. Um, there's like seven or eight pianos in the Many Glacier Hotel. I think there's and six. Yeah, six to be exact. There's six. Yeah. And there's, um, you know, there, there seemed to always be someone playing at least one of them at any given time. So the music, you know, it's it's alive and well there. I think it's a part of the building. It's a part of the culture of the park. And, you know, it just takes a willingness for, you know, what I, <laughs> when you came up to me and, and, and said that you wanted to be a part of it, I don't really remember my reaction. But I think every time someone told me they wanted to be a part of it, I, I was trying to hide my surprise. I was like, <laughs> really really that's oh yeah yeah of course yeah that's great <laughs> but um i was super excited to have people on board right away um especially you and alex and sophie you guys you guys stayed with me through the whole thing and that was you know you are all so talented um it's i i was completely humbled by by you know 
by everything that was happening around us that year. That was just incredible. Yeah, I mean, I was just like, I think that was like another beauty of it in that year is just that like um, Alex and I play guitar, you play, play piano, and then Sophie, like my my gosh, the pipes on that girl. I mean, she could she could incredible sing. and yeah. Like just like the combinations that we could come up with, like um, Sophie and I would do duos together. Her and Alex would do. You and her would do. We just had so many different combinations that like we could come up with, um, either solo or together. Not and then that's not including like you know some of the other uh, employees, even like some of the J one students that um, performed their talents and really blew us away. And then oh yeah, some of the guests too that came up that like you know just really just took our took our breath away and um that's just part of the beauty of the experience is like the combinations that we had in that year um was just was just awesome and um i I mean eli and i this past uh summer in 2019 we i was hoping like i could get that to happen again um i mean that's half the reason i went back to money glacier was just so i could keep the hoot nanny going and I was, i'm glad i had eli because him and i would just tag team it and um, yeah but we just struggled to have any have a core group of people to play with us regularly and i mean i understand like it's you know people they, they want to experience the park so like them to like take that time out of their night on a monday night may not be ideal for them where they may be working because of the work schedule or whatnot um but yeah that was like that was just the frustrating thing for me like in last summer um, was trying to make that work um, in the way like or try to replicate that from the year prior what we what we had but um, I mean I think both years though um, it was just like the hoot nanny became a priority for me and then I also know God knows how many employees that like had asked about it and like wanted wanted to see it happen and like enjoyed seeing it happen and um, because we we just like we played favorite songs for people. Um, I mean, I remember Rivers and Roads is the one that we, that was like... A that nice one sticks to. out to me too. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm still not thoroughly convinced that um, that the head and the heart isn't completely just made up of seasonal workers. Because when you listen to their album, for anyone who's heard the head and the heart, really listen to some of their albums. Um, they're always talking about seasons ending and people going away for the winter and... Um, I have my suspicions uh, <laughs> that they're just like a crew of seasonal workers that made a band together, um, which who knows, maybe we could do that someday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'd love to be a part of like some music group. I was last last band I was a part of was when I was with it. They um, just like a small music group or small band in the Grand Canyon when we played uh, shows in the village, uh, which is still fun, but um that spearheaded me into like going back in the glacier and making sure I could carry on the musical tradition there. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, like I said, just the, the, the town that we had, um, the town that is there in these parks. And um, I mean, overall, like as we talk about music, I hope there's people that are listening that are out there that either have these talents or like are cultivating these talents and who are in the parks, either uh, one, if you decide to go to glacier, get, get on many glacier like see if you can get employed there i know this year is just it's going to be a rough year um, yeah because of what's going on and um eli was um um, touted to go back um and he i was happy because he was he was actually he was 100 percent set on like carrying on the hoot nanny but um with the staff cuts he um, got cut um he doesn't have a job there anymore so i as far as the state of the hoot nanny this year i have i have no clue if it's going to be a thing 
um, which is really sad. But um, I think there may be a podcast cast listener, you know, who uh, maybe who's 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 on their way first season, you know, many glacier. It was it was both of our first season, you know. Um, you never know who's gonna and I I I believe that it's um, you know it as much as as much as it's me, it's you, it's people like Alex and Sophie or any of the others that joined us. Um, it, I think it's also the park, it you is. know, because it just is such a draw for creative people. Um, you know it not only musicians, but artists, um, in general, you know, people who, people who paint and draw and, um, you know, just, just creative people in general are really drawn to that place. And I think it's, it's one of the magical things about Glacier. Um, it certainly was the only place that I've found so far where my passion for music and my passion for, you know, working in tourism kind of met um, yeah. it was like a paradise for me. I was like, wait, I get to do both of these things and make money at the same time. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, if, like I said, for like I said, any artistic talent or any talent in general, like if you're in one of these parks and you can feed your talent off of that, do it. Um, there's opportunity to do it if you have the will to do it or the, the resources necessary. Um, cause I know, I know like, um, like for, I know, uh, this past uh, summer with me and Eli, um, Eric Kendall, the, uh, the manager who's been or the location manager, who's been uh, managing the many glacier hotel for uh, quite a few years, years now and has like deep roots in uh, glacier as a park. Um, he was really supportive of me and Eli this past summer. Um, always willing to help us out as far as like getting the equipment set up or like make sure he was like there for us. And um, he always told me like, he doesn't want to see it die, die out and, uh, that meant a lot to me and Eli because he he treated us well on that. Um, so huge shout oh, out yeah. to you, Eric Kendall, for um, influencing that. And I think that's also what it takes for this thing to carry on. Um, it's just like you know management and like you know the park, like um, the concessionaire, at least recognizing it and encouraging people to like or just make it known. Um, like I mean, if you if you build it up enough, like people will know about it, and there's got to be someone out there that's willing to take it on. Um, it is it is good that there is that support from Eric you know it's 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 a I mean I don't want to say like it's condoned by management but at the same time it's good that management and you know and and a lot of people that work for that concessionaire um, you know um, uh, they they all support it they want to see it growing they know that it's um, you know they know that it's part of the culture of the hotel and as stewards of that property, it's one of the things that, um, you know, it, it's it's part of the lifeblood of Many Glacier. So it's important that it continues. And I'm, I'm glad that they recognize that, too, um, because I, I would hate to see, you know, um, I would hate to see those halls go silent. Um, yeah. So so hopefully someone does pick up the torch. If that's one of you uh, listeners, um, I encourage you immensely please go for it <laughs> yeah absolutely so i mean yeah, for anybody that's listening out there if you get a chance to get up there one day and you can do it like you have our support or you can always reach out to somebody or get some resources there to help you out with that um and plus like one thing i loved about um that a big takeaway other than like just the whole experience from uh like the year you and i sophie and um, alex did it um 
I remember I didn't get it. I forgot to mention this on my last podcast with uh, Eli, but since you brought up the uh, like with the uh, Glacier Park Conservancy and getting recognized recognition from there, um, the one of the songs that I wrote, the lyrics were actually um, published in I think it's the Glacier Trailhead. Is that the magazine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah, inside um, trail, I think. Yeah, the inside trail. Yeah. Yeah, they did a nice little write up about us. Um, yeah. They 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 posted your lyrics, which, by the way, um, in love with that song. I don't I don't think I I tried to hide my tears every single time you played that, and I'm not very good at that. Um, <laughs> I don't think my eyes were ever dry after that song. Um, but that was really cool that they um you know they took notice and and they did that little write up about us and and again yeah. anything to increase awareness um of music in the parks um that was really appreciated we had um and we had a few people um from back in the day who were um you know who come to a glacier every year who stay at many glacier who used to work there um we had carol um we had we had quite a few people who came back and and were part of the hootenanny in the days that um that ian tippett were uh you know worked at the hotel so it was really cool to see that kind of multi-generational link um and a lot of them were really happy to see that you know people took the initiative to keep it going and that's something that was very cool um i remember uh playing piano in the dining room um with someone who had played violin there in the 80s um as part of the hootenanny and that was very cool as well um so it's it's really neat that there's this multi-generational kind of um, handing off of the torch, so to speak. Um, and I think that if it does slow down, I think that it'll pop up again. Mm-hmm. I, think, um, I think that music has a place to stay at Many Glacier, and I think that that's going to be something that will continue. Yeah, absolutely. And like, just for like, anybody that's listening, um... oh, what's my train of thought here? Um... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So for anybody that's listening, um, if you like, like, like we said before, there's six pianos in, um, in the mini glacier hotel. Um, so please, like, I mean, my encouragement or my suggestion is please say, if you decide to like sit down and play one of those pianos, please save the employees some sanity that are around you and don't play heart and soul. So much. Oh man. <laughs> that's, that's the bad part of having the pianos in there, and especially working at the front desk. Like, you get it. Like, I mean, I, I love that. Like, you know, kids will go up and play. But, like that, the one piano in the main lobby was built in the 1880s, so right. it's old. It is ancient, and it yeah. has history to it. So, like, it's falling apart. The fact that it, it, it has like one one key or a couple keys that don't even work that well. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, like. It's cool to see like, you know, kids and other people go and play those like the piano and like if they they can play it really well. Great. But like you get like the kids that come up or the people that come up and play heart and soul because it's the easiest song to learn on piano. And like you hear it 10 to 15 times a day. I remember I put up a uh, I remember you may have even been working where I finally decided I'm putting a sign on the piano and I I, I wrote, please no heart and soul. And um (laughs) That was that didn't stay up there very long. Um, I, that was <laughs> uh, the powers that be didn't appreciate that sign very much. But um, yeah. but yeah, it was uh, it, 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 some of those some of those kids though. Um, you know, it put us to shame. 
I was a little embarrassed. Oh man, look at this. Look at this seven-year-old tearing it up on the keyboard. The hoot nannies at six 30. Um, they're going to be shaking their head watching us, you know? And, um, but, but the cool thing is that most of the time we could get those people to play with us. Um, I remember one time, um, uh, Donna, who was one of our coworkers, loved Donna, by the way. Um, what an amazing woman. Um, she saw someone walking down the, um, many glacier road with a banjo and she basically kidnapped them and brought them to the hoot nanny. was like, <laughs> Hey, you're, um, uh, you're, you're playing at the hoot nanny, right? And he was like, what's the hoot nanny? She goes, Oh, come with me. Literally picks this guy up on the road and, and drives him to many glacier, um, to play with us. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, we, we seem to have guests every week, um, more or less. And then we had a full, um, you know, uh, string quartet one year. Yeah. Um, one, one week. Sorry. Yeah, I, I forgot about the uh, string quartet. They came this past year too. Or, uh, yeah, this past oh, they did. Really yeah, so I mean, I think they make it a point to kind of reach out and like make their way up there because if they, I think they travel a good bit, so like they try to make their mm-hmm. way up there to play, um, which is great because I mean they're they're very talented like musicians, um, and I love watching them play. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I think the other thing that um, Donna told us too, or a lot of people told us that we played a lot of sappy love songs. And we did. We, we kind of got yelled at. We're not yelled at. <laughs> like, hey, can you play some happier songs? I'm like, I mean, we can, but we just like the sad songs. We love being sad, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, for those listening, uh, my, my other bit of encouragement too is like, this doesn't just pertain to what, Cooper and I and like other people have experienced in Glacier and Many Glacier Hotel. Um, this can be done in any park if you have the means to do so. Um, we don't know the musical roots that are in every national park. We imagine that there's some or like to think that there's some, but I mean if you're going to these places and like you have that like as like a hobby or like something that you enjoy, like don't be afraid to express it in these parks and like in these places. Like, like feed off the place that you're in whether you're a writer, composer, just play for fun. Like, I mean, don't be afraid to like perform and like, you know, just express like that talent that you have in these places. Cause I mean, people will listen, um, people will hear it. People will encourage you. And that's just like the beauty of like the park community and parkies in general. Like there's so many people that um, have these talents and like can have the means to do so. And I just encourage those, like if you, if you haven't done so yet, like go for it, like, express yourself in those ways and um i'm sure i uh, anytime i visit a national park like um in glacier specifically like that's gonna be something i think about is like you know you know do other places have these kind of experiences and outlets like i've experienced and i hope there is out there um well well, i mean one thing's for certain i had a lot of these places um you know the lack of wi-fi and cell phone signal at a certain time of night around 6 30 p.m let's say after dinner you pretty much have a captive audience so i say go for it <laughs> yeah. yeah that's a that's a good good point i mean that's that's a good prime time right there yeah absolutely everyone's trying to connect to the wi-fi that doesn't exist you know <laughs> start playing that piano bust out the guitar you know if even if it's something that's not um you know the many glacier hoot nanny um you know 
start a, start a drum circle, um, you know, encourage people to play with you. It's, it's a great time. And I, I don't know anyone. I've never met anyone who's like, no, nah, I don't like music. I don't like to listen to music. Everyone exactly. loves music. <laughs> exactly. It's just a part of, part of anybody's life, whether you acknowledge it or not. So. But, um, well, I mean, Cooper, for these last couple of minutes here, I um, usually just what I do with um, what I've been doing is just like any like funny, happy, sad, crazy memories or stories um, you want to share from uh, your park experiences. It can be like hootenanny related, music related. Um, it could be experiences that you and I have shared together or like individually, like um, that we can like just chat about real quick in these last few minutes. So, um, yeah, feel free to like to share like some of those with us. Well, um one one experience definitely comes to mind um <laughs> when i was i hope steve glishinski is listening to this podcast i knew the story was coming and i wanted it too so <laughs> um so if uh if you're going to glacier national park um any parky in the park can tell you this um one of the most enjoyable yet dangerous books that you can buy in the gift shop is a climber's guide to glacier national park um, it was written in the 1960s, and let's just say some of the root information is a little antiquated. Um, one of <laughs> what, uh, so one of our mutual friends, uh, Steve, who is uh, actually coming back, I believe, to Many Glacier this year, even though they're not doing the red buses, he's a jammer or they, a red bus driver. I think, um, I think, I think he's doing security. No, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not certain. I think Joe told me. I'd have to double check with him. But I, for what I know, I think actually, I really never got an official word if he's coming back or if he's going back. But uh, I'll have to. I'll have to find out. Well, I hope he does find a place in the park because that guy has been, uh, you know, he's been in that park for a really long time, um, and you know, me and him kind of became, uh, you know, climbing buddies, and he shared this route with me. Said I want to do. Um, I want to do this route, um, Mad Wolf, uh, Eagle Plume, and Bad Marriage. And that was all I heard. I was like, <laughs> wow, I want to climb these really cool sounding mountains. So we went, um, <laughs> we went off into the middle of nowhere. Um, it's in an area of the park where um, first you go through the Cutbank campground. And the first thing you do is you ford the Cutbank Creek. And um, you, once you're out there, there are no human trails whatsoever. So, you know, we're bushwhacking. It was, it was about 100 degrees in the park that day because I don't know if you remember, it was really hot um, at some point that summer. It was right before was. The, the fire season kind of happened. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so we're up there and we're exhausted and we, we descend from bad marriage, as so many people often do. And we, we, we find ourselves in this hanging valley and the route says uh, to climb down this waterfall and it's getting dark and we're like, climb down this waterfall. Like there's no safe way to do this whatsoever. And we're trying, we're looking, we're looking at the book and literally the, 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 the flowery route description in a climber's guide, um, which by the way, pick it up if you have access to 
you know, this book, please just read it. It's the, the descriptions are absurd. And it basically just says the, the way back is easy from here and it gives you no further instruction. So we're like, oh, okay. Um, so we fail to climb down this waterfall. We end up kind of digging in the dirt um, to, you know, set up some sort of camp. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're, we're on the side of this mountain there's a sheep carcass, um, you know, uh, uh, maybe like a few yards away from us. And we didn't sleep at all. But our goal was to climb down in the morning when we had more light. And then the route is easy from there. Um, so we get down this waterfall the next morning. And it is 12 hours of the most brutal bushwhack. And Steve and I are just taking turns sitting on the ground moping i i i asked him to just leave me i was like please just let me get eaten by a bear it would be better than this i was wearing shorts um i'm not sure if you saw me come back from that I trip did. I but did see you come back my my okay. shirt was all torn up like i looked like i had been in a war um and it was just brambles and thorns every single plant in that valley for some reason has these long thorns and I was just, we were both just getting torn up. And um, I've talked to a few other people since when I came back this past summer, um, I talked, I talked to a few other people who have attempted that route and all of them have told me there's just, there's just no good way to do that. It's it, don't do it. If anyone's thinking yeah. of doing that route because the mountains sound cool, don't do it. It's not worth it besides the fact that it was already kind of smoky and we could barely see anything from the tops. Um, that was probably one of the more harrowing experiences I've had in Glacier. And I've had, I've had a handful of them, but that one sticks out in my mind for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's the one I really wanted you to talk about because I remember that, <laughs> that, that night before you were supposed to, to work your shift and you didn't show up. So like, Oh, what happened? And, I think we, I think we kind of learned that like you and Steve had like had gone out and like didn't come back, so we were obviously worried. And then you finally showed up the next day, just like torn to bits, <laughs> and like you were like, "I'm going to bed," and I was like, "I don't blame you." <laughs> um, I slept so well <laughs> after that. I mean, that was oh man. I mean, it's I mean, you can't have a match made in heaven on something called bad marriage. So. <laughs> No, absolutely not. And maybe that should have been my first clue. Maybe don't, you know, climb a mountain that has that kind of a, that kind of a name where you're already, it's already a bad omen, a bad marriage mountain and, and mad wolf too. I mean, all of them kind of sound, yeah. you know, <laughs> kind of crazy and it is. So uh, to anyone listening who enjoys hiking or climbing in glacier, um, that is not a route to be attempted. That route does not exist. Um, but to anyone that has done that route successfully, um, just an aside, please let me know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And that's like, that's another thing too, like prepare, like that's the kind of worst case scenario you have to prepare for if you're getting yourself into those situations or like planning to, to like climb those kinds of routes or take that kind of risk. Like you, doesn't matter, like in places like those, like, any place you hike in, you should prepare for um, a semi worst case scenario or like be able to have good judgment enough that either one, you're with someone that knows what they're doing or two, 
like you had the good judgment of knowing what's what's going on, what could happen, and preparing for what could happen, even if it doesn't happen. Like that's just that's just how it is. And yeah, um, and we I mean, would that's... we would always go out together prepared for an overnight, anyways. And yeah. I think that that's a good thing for anyone who does. You know, <laughs> you expect to be gone a couple hours, and then it's you know it's afternoon the next day. Um, it's, it's a good thing. You know, we had enough supplies and we had water filtration and we were able to kind of, um, it, it was not pleasant, but, um, but we were able to get through it because, you know, one, Steve is an exceptional, you know, route finder and, and, and mountaineer and, um, and we were just, we were prepared for the worst. And so when it happened, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, the risk was mitigated somewhat, but sometimes the best thing you can do is just not go. <laughs> yeah, not do it, yeah. And I think, um, I know now, um, Steve actually has these books. Um, there are, there's like a, a volume series of like route climbs in Glacier that has the most popular routes. Pretty much any route that you'll find that you can find in the uh, Climber's Guide to Glacier um, can be found in these, uh, I think it's a total of five books, like five volumes of routes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple different peaks that like the author, um, negated and like didn't want to put in there. Um, I can't remember which one specifically, but these volumes actually have, well, the, for one, they're in color, unlike the climber's guide. Right. Uh, so that's helpful. And they actually have pictures of like along the route, along with descriptions and, um, GPS route points like they're at multiple points of like GPS coordinates you can plug in to like to form the uh, the route and, like if you have a GPS unit you can use that so yeah those are the uh, the Blake Passmore uh, wrote yes. those yes, yes. Um, really great books actually um, and if I can make a little plug um, there is a I've started a group called Glacier Park Peak Bagging and um and uh, Blake Passmore just recently became a member of that group too. So um, if anyone's thinking of, you know, doing any climbing in Glacier, um, that group um, is a great resource. Um, one of the first members, uh, Paul Fodder, who I know you had on the show a couple episodes back, um, is on that group as well. And the whole point of that group is to kind of, um, you know, help people who um, may be new to mountaineering in the park or, you know, just to share new routes and um, to encourage people uh, to stay out of the Cutbank Valley. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you'll end up like Cooper or you'll end up like me, Matt Edwards, and Max Bates getting caught in a lightning and hailstorm on top of a mountain. Um, <laughs> literally caught between a rock and a hard place. And I'm going to share that story on a podcast one of these days if I can get one of them on here because it's, <laughs> it's a duo of a, uh, <laughs> of a uh, story. But, um, um, but Cooper, I think that pretty much wraps it up uh, for this episode. But before we go, I know you have um, kind of like your own little side project that you're doing, um, like on the internet, like you're selling like some artwork or something. Can you just like kind of plug that in and let people know about that so, so you can get you some uh, some awareness there? Yeah. So um, I, I've started doing um, prints of my uh, landscape photography. So if you go on uh, cooperchronicles.com. Um, I've got a few prints from Glacier. I've got prints from Big Sur. I have prints from my time in the Pacific Northwest in Oregon and Washington. And um, check them out. I've got um, I've got framed prints. I've got um, you know you can buy digital copies of the artwork. 
and frame them yourself. Um, and I also have um, art posters as well if you're not looking to spend too much money. So those are all on there. And um, yeah, uh, thanks for letting me plug that. That's been, um, it's been a lot of fun and uh, definitely uh, something that I love doing when I'm out on the trail. So, uh, you know, the more I can support that habit, um, the better. So I really appreciate everyone who's already checked it out. And if you haven't, um, take a look. It's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Go check it out, guys. Well, um, Cooper, like I said, thank you so much for jumping on and taking time to, to chat with me. It was yeah, a thanks for having me. It was great to catch up with you. Um, it's good to like hear back from you and see how you're doing and hear your experiences and relive some experiences with you. But uh, other than that, man, I hope I hope it's for the best for you uh, while you're still in Montana. It seems like you're doing pretty well um, from what I see on Facebook. So I'm glad to see that. But other than that, man, um, I hope to talk to you again soon sometime. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. We'll take care. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to listen to Cooper and I talk about our musical experiences. And this is just the end of the music series, music in the park series that I had in mind. Part one being with my friend Eli. And then today, this episode being with uh, Cooper and it was just so great to reflect on something that um, I connected to two separate individuals, but um, we got to share that passion collectively and share it together during our time in the parks. And those passions um, can really just be reflected in any friendship and any connection that you make. So if you're in a park and you're working and you're being influenced and surrounded by um, by people with you know same or common passions and interests as you, um, I just encourage you all to, you know, connect with those people and, you know, build upon those passions and like, don't be afraid to express yourself. And if it's music, it's music, if it's writing or painting or art or whatever, I mean, there's just so much talent in these parks and there's bound to be someone that you can connect with, um, in these places when you work, um, your time in the parks and not only just build a friendship, but just build like a major passion or fuel your passion even more for what you already love. Um, other than that, um, I know that this time of year is when people would typically start going into their summer season jobs, um, but I know the coronavirus situation has made everything just completely chaotic and, you know, some people had jobs lined up and were set to work in a particular park, but may have uh, lost that job due to staff cuts that parks are doing right now. Um, if if you're, that's the case and you're in that position, um, I'm going to be praying for you all and just hope that you have options that you can go to and can, you can still make the most of your time this summer wherever you're at um, despite this current situation and for everyone that I know uh, both my friends and even those that I don't know if you're still going into a park this summer to work um, I wish you the best of luck even though it's not going to look the same as either previous years or may not um, be what you thought it was going to be just because of this whole situation uh, don't be afraid to make the most of it this summer. You can still find joy. You can still find um, the fun and the happiness in working in these places this summer. Um, it's just going to look different, but don't be afraid to make the most of it and make the best of it. So um, like I said, also, I am going to be doing these episodes a little less frequently just because I'm getting busier and I'm going to be outside and you know enjoying life a little bit more and just doing my own thing. But um, whenever I get a new episode done and find someone to chat with, I will most certainly let you guys know, throw it up for you all to listen to and, 
Um, I just thank you all so much for tuning in and listening to these podcasts. I hope they take your mind off some things and just kind of um, give you something to listen to, pass the time or whatever. But um, that's all I have for today. So I'll see you next time on the Parkies podcast. Thank you.